Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jules Gill, this is the earliest Untitled Banter podcast we've ever done. And I saying know. that, it's only quarter to ten in the morning, but we're very half asleep. We're chugging on the caffeine. We're getting through. I love the fact that you say that when you know for a fact I wake up at like 6.30 every morning. <laughs> I, I am an early bird, my friend. And I've caught the worm, and that worm is the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. The UBP. Mm-mm-mm, tasty grub. It is the Entitled Banter Podcast where we take your latest questions, talking points, whatever you've got going on in your mind. Now, we got a lovely uh, response last week, so I thought we'd roll some stuff over. However, awesome. I did also put a tweet out yesterday. What do we even call them now? Posts? X's? Oh, I don't know. I put a, zeets. Zeets. I put a zeet out yesterday asking people what their latest uh, thoughts are. And there's a lot of stuff doing the rounds on Baldur's Gate 3. Okay. Obviously, that game, massive deal, being talked about a lot, is currently the highest rated game of the year, beating Zelda Tears yeah. of the Kingdom. Um, I'm yet to play, and I'm waiting, waiting for the console version. But the conversation around that game, alongside how incredible it is, is this whole thing about how it changes what a AAA game is. It changes the expectations of the best games in the industry. I saw IGN's video went viral, and there's a lot of that stuff. A lot of people just messaging, just going, can we just talk about all of that stuff? Have you been keeping up with all this? I have indeed. And I find it quite funny that the people who seem to be positing this whole sort of like, oh, it's setting unrealistic expectations (laughs) for video games are Mm. usually those people who are at the forefront of, well, let's say companies that don't ever intend to put out fully polished games in the first place. And it's like... I I can't believe we're in a state now where people are defending it, saying, oh, look, it's putting too much pressure on the developers. It's putting too much pressure on the publishers to release games in as polished state as Baldur's Gate 3. Not all of them have like 10 years to make this game. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no one puts those restrictions on you, but the company itself. If Mm -hmm. you aren't going to make a deadline, then you're going to have to push back because at the end of the day, people are going to support Baldur's Gate 3. They're going to keep supporting that when it goes forward. And if it ever decides to release expansions or additional content for it, then everyone's going to be like, yeah, of course I'm going to go with this because Mm -hmm. I know that the quality, that seal of assurance is already there. Mm -hmm. If you're then going on the other side and saying look you're going to need a day one patch to even have this game in a playable state and even then we can't promise anything people are just going to be like what's the point you end up like me where i just go i'm going to wait for the game of the year edition i'm going to wait until you fixed everything before i go and play this game and by that point i'm getting it at a cheaper price point and i'm waiting for all of the um bugs to be ironed out 
and they're getting a less of a sale from me, in essence. Well, my thing is like it's a. I just think the biggest issue is a, is industry wide. It's the, it's a lack of optics on how games are made. Like the amount of times when a game is two or three months from launch and it's still like, oh, I hope they add this. I hope they put mm-hmm. this feature in. Mm-hmm. It's like that was locked down almost a year ago or something in terms of like the baseline idea yeah. of what the mechanics are. And so Baldur's Gate three, as much as it's being held up as like this new sort of AAA benchmark thing, like you said, it's been in development for close to I think it's like eight or ten years. It yeah. was sort of kickstarted or whatever, crowdfunded into. Um, existence. There's an earlier version that w- was reviewed by IGN. It got seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things where over time it was, um, you know, Larian's co-founder. Um, I forget what the name of that dude is, but he put a lot of his personal money, fortune, whatever, into it, which is what allowed it to keep going and keep getting yeah. refined and get to this point. It is not at all a model of AAA gaming. It's not even. It's 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 very much its own thing. Um, it's, and I it's guess basically like an indie game that became a AAA game. Like yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. it's attached to a franchise that has like a, a significant legacy, so it does mm-hmm. have a AAA founding but mm-hmm. it's the case of like you say it was brought into existence by crowdfunding by personal ambition and also a lot of personal sacrifice as well yeah. and uh, AAA games don't do that like you well, look back at like the um, a recent example of Final Fantasy 16 mm-hmm. that game sold however many million it was units. like 3 million or something in the like, first couple it, of weeks it is the fastest selling best selling Final Fantasy game ever mm-hmm. and yet they still see it as a categorical failure <laughs> within the board meetings because it didn't hit their so-called lofty it's because it didn't maintain that thing as well like the opening sales it didn't keep going on that trajectory apparently it spiked and then it like plateaued or something it, but it's, it's so bizarre that people think that they're going to have like a gta online with every single game that they put out just by putting money into it and it's mm-hmm. like no that doesn't immediately mean that you're going to get a return on investment mm-hmm. that is exponential and keeps growing and it's it's a very strange thing to see people comparing these games when in actuality they shouldn't be going oh dear it's 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 causing a problem for us they should be going Round of applause, thank you, and mm-hmm. also we're going to try and do better and emulate what you've done here. Well, that's kind of the thing is I, I I mean, obviously, like there was the IGN video that did the rounds a lot. It's mostly the sentiment of that video that did the rounds more than the the reality of what the actual situation is. Like there are a lot of devs obviously giving uh, Baldur's Gate its flowers and saying like this is an incredible mm-hmm. feat of game design, same as Tears of the Kingdom. It's very like, um, you know, like, the actual matrix of the different points of the that game's design that talk to each other is incredibly complex and that should yeah. be celebrated. Um, but there was a similar sentiment when Tears of the Kingdom came out. There was like a, a little video showing like a bit where Link sort of makes a bridge between two items and then it makes tension and it makes a whole bridge. And it's like that is like such a feat of coding to like make this physics item out of nothing. Um, and that was like a thing at the time of like devs going like, oh my God, what the hell are we going to do next? But I kind of just equate that to like when I was learning guitar or if anyone's learning an instrument or anything and you see a master of their craft, like, you know, they're way further down the line than you. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it, to some degree, it should only really be inspirational. I don't think there's a, a genuine knockback from the the, the mainstream. I don't think people are going, every game needs to be this. I no. think the average person can understand that it's it's either it's Nintendo, it's Baldur's Gate, it's a one-off. Like I, I think that it's tied in with the optics of the industry overall, and yeah. more making of um, documentaries will be a hell of a lot better. But I think the sentiment has done the rounds more that devs are annoyed about it, or devs or whatever. I just don't think they are. I think it's more of a, you uh, yeah, know, it's, it, yeah. it's just it's, noticing what it is. It's like fan projection. It's because mm-hmm. we are annoyed when we have day one games that are barely playable, um, and so we then go like, well, the devs are going to be like, you know, really uh, taken aback by this because they've been shown and it, that's probably like at the end of the day, we're making a game to the limits that we're prescribed by our either publisher or company mm-hmm. that's above us. Like if they're told you have to turn this around within a year, like an annualized sequel, there's not much they can do. Mm-hmm. And we all saw what happens if that model carries on without sustaining uh, properly. And that's what happened with the WWE franchise with mm-hmm. the 2K stuff. 
they had to take significant time off to rework everything from the ground up and start again. But mm -hmm. the problem is, is they haven't actually fixed the core route there. We're going to get that game again and again and again every year, but it's now just that version of it that's going to crumble yeah. into dust and then we're going to have another backlash and start again. There's no evolution going on no. here. It's just repairing. And that's the thing. It's like one of the core sort of like sentiments that comes out of this is the idea of like, look at Baldur's Gate 3 as it is right now. It is this extremely polished, extremely impressive game. And like I said before, but that only came from years of refinement with the ability mm. to do that refining over time. It's not that you can hold this up as a way of saying all games need to be this polished or this complete or whatever. Um, it's a wider problem. Like Baldur's Gate is not the, um, you know, the example that proves the rule kind of thing. It's not the thing that yeah. everyone can do. It's just not. Um, but but it the reality should be. Is like you say, it, it should be aspirational. Every Every game should, every developer should look at that and say, I want my game to be as polished, well-respected and well-received as yes. this game. How can I make that happen? But mm -hmm. behind the scenes limitations that, as you said before, are covered up because there isn't as much transparency within the video game industry as we would like, mm -hmm. uh, mean that we don't get to see that. What we get to see from, let's just say, an average uh, video game fan is mm -hmm. developer puts out a bad game. That's mm -hmm. all they see. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is like that's the, that's the thing. That's the overall thing that we can all agree on is that we want games that work at launch. We don't want a Redfall or whatever other broken games. I, I was end just up about up. to bring that up. Like, yeah. I mean, Redfall is a great example. The same with the um, the Lord of the Rings Gollum game. It's a case of mm. I don't think that any developer sat down, cracked their knuckles, leant back in their chair, and said, "Right, let's make an absolutely cack game. Let's no, just let's just do it, lads. <laughs> like, open up the skip and let's go fishing." No one mm -hmm. sits at, sets out to do that. It's just a case of they go there and they go okay we don't have the budget to do this we don't have the budget to do that okay we're gonna have to make concessions here okay there's mm -hmm. a time frame delay okay there's an issue with this that means that mm -hmm. we can't do this okay we've just bought in a new engine because our bosses want to start using this as the proprietary tech and it doesn't work with this and mm -hmm. by that time you've stitched everything together it is in nowhere near what uh it's meant to be i mean your friend uh tommy hopkins um uh, sorry tommy, uh, miller, from tommy miller yeah it was a case of whenever you speak to him about sort of the mm. video game uh, developing side of it, it's just mm -hmm. like, these games are barely stitched together to work yeah. this one way. And it's- Oh, so through, it's a miracle if anything comes up. Yeah, and it's like, and it's through trial and error to get that thing even working with the massive resources. Like, mm -hmm. it, you, they can only do the best that they can do. <laughs> totally. Also, clarity on Tommy Miller. He was an ex-Ubisoft employee who yes. works at various indie studios. He did a few articles for us on the site. Um, I don't actually know the two. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought that there was a pre-established uh, thing there. No, no, like in touch in terms of a, a freelancer uh, getting oh, in yeah. touch with the company thing. But yeah, he's done a few articles for the website we adapted some of them to videos lots of insider knowledge and stuff for what it's like working in the industry um, but yeah that's one of those things where if anything you could hold up Baldur's Gate and go look how well received this polished game is and you would hope that that works in the various meetings that happen across the board when it comes to coders art departments everything else being able to stand up for their teams saying we need more time like you said at the beginning um, it is more about hopefully being able to push back against those deadlines and ultimately result in a more polished product and um, I think that's the response is oh my god look at the size of this thing and it's not falling apart at the seams Maybe, That's the ultimate yeah. thing. Maybe we should um, uh, create the distinction that uh, the, like you say, the sentiment of that IGN video of the developers must be annoyed. But that maybe that is not true. What the actual statement should be is publishers are annoyed by that right. because it's setting <laughs> what they consider to be unrealistic expectations of fans who won't pre-order and uh, be um, ready to download a mm -hmm. day one patch that's bigger than the game itself. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that are getting annoyed because they're like, oh, okay, they're actually starting to ask for more. They're finally yeah. going to. Uh, whereas the developers are like yes that's what we want to deliver please push
push back enough so that it reaches the publisher to give us more time, space, and creative freedom. Yeah, entirely. That. I think like there's a whole thing about like the average dev time or the the, uh, the idea of how much dev time something needs um, has been you know it doesn't it's, it's needed to be um, elongated for quite a long time. Like all the stuff that's happening at the minute with Modern Warfare Three, where that game like it's you know it's going to be this year's Call of Duty, but all the maps are remasters from like mm-hmm. the old one, and it's things like that where it's like corners are starting to be cut to try and hit faster turnarounds. In this case, to hit annual models, um, and it's very obvious. I think that the Baldur's Gate Three thing is a massive conversation, and it'll only be more explored when the console versions hit because way more people are going to play it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting talking point just because of the reality of how it came together. Um, but hopefully, the best lessons can be learned from it. It is still an incredible feat. Like I do, just look at all the footage and be like, I can't wait to poke and prod at that thing myself. Like yeah. I just want to play it. Well, it was um, like um, there was a, t- a tiny video that popped up onto my feed the other day about um, how this person was playing a rogue class. Mm. and had met somebody who was trying to scam them out of a magical item or like trying to get some coin out of them. Mm. And there was a dialogue tree that went on for a good sort of five minutes back and forth with all these crazy things that you could only access if you were speaking to that one specific character and chose that one specific path that you would only get from playing as a rogue. And it's like the fact that it was all voice acted, uh, motion captured, had all of these like intriguing uh, facets where there was multiple choices even within that dialogue tree. It was like... That's so <laughs> impressive. And so I would say it, I'm using the word unnecessary, but I don't right. mean it in the sense of um, like superfluous. I just feel like it's the like it's un- insane they un- thought unwarranted of amount of effort and love that went into just yeah. doing that aspect is why that game is going to be so well received. Mm-hmm. And probably I think well it's why revered. it's like, you know, it's reminding people of like old Bioware and like, like old, obviously top down CRPGs and things like that. Like things where the dev accounted for every last thing you might think of. Yes. Like I yeah. saw, um, there was a clip of the day of like a, someone who just picked an item out of their inventory and threw it and their companion dog ran and got it, played fetch with it and That's brought it amazing. back to the player. And I was like, I love that they, they thought of that. That's awesome. And there's loads of little things like that, that they're just sort of like, whatever you do, they've already thought of it. Because they wouldn't have criti- criticized the game for taking the item out, throwing it and nothing happened. Like right. if nothing, if nothing had happened, no one would have batted an eye. But the no. fact that something did happen, it's reactive, and that's I think the magic of video games is that it's about exploring the video game world mm-hmm. in an intangible way with tangible actions. So it's like, yes. like you say, I'm I'm not doing anything, and uh, nothing would happen if I did that normally. But the fact that it comes back, it's rewarding me for well, doing like, something that is completely pointless. At the yeah, end of and it's like it encourages like a level of thinking that I talk about loads on podcasts and videos and whatever. But it's it's pure gameplay and it's pure gaming as a medium. It's not rooted in narrative mm-hmm. or film or TV or passive stuff. It's fundamentally interaction based. Like you can only do that in gaming. Yeah. And like another one is uh, apparently if you if you throw, uh, if you don't drink potions, if you throw them instead, they splash and heal in a radius. That's and I was really like, I love clever. that. And it's like little things like that that you might just stumble upon or whatever. And I know that that's just scratching the surface of the millions of different things you can do. It reminds but me. I love that it's all in there. So much of like how Disco Elysium hit the market. It was just yes. a case of like, it's the, you can do this question mark that that's, that's the selling point of these mm-hmm. types of games. Just like, really rewarding the player's imagination and willingness to explore rewarding imagine that's a really good way to put it like rewarding imagination and reward, rewarding experimentation is something mm-hmm. the industry used mm-hmm. to do a lot more of and now it's a it's a lot more scripted stuff in certain spaces like at certain levels of budgets and everything which again is why this stands out because there's so much money in it but it's still super experimental going back to breath of the wild tears of the kingdom like the experimentation of just uh, fusing items and weapons mm. together and also manipulating the gravity and um sort of physics engine from the first game mm-hmm. it's like it breaks the game but at no point did anyone complain about that everyone was no. just like this is so much fun and nintendo mm-hmm. were like yeah we 
So we knew you could do this. <laughs> we're, we're not, but we're not going to stop you. So whatever, just have fun. That's another thing as well is that in that case, obviously uh, Breath of the Wild was 2017. They mm-hmm. apparently immediately started on the sequel. And then it was one of those things where they prototyped that idea of what became the now, the physics engine thing yeah. or the uh, manipulation that's in the new one. But that took them like five, six years to get that thing right. And it's and like you tell. certain, co- you can tell, but like only certain companies are able to do that, whether it's a private, um, you know, someone with a lot of money, like the head of Larian, or it's someone like Nintendo, where they just have such a fortune to put into it. Red yeah. Dead Redemption 2 was another one. The amount of polish in that game, um, literally only, it's a, it's a miracle. Like it's a one-off. You're not going to get another Red, Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, there'll be uh, very few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, we should get to some questions because sure it thing. is the entire Amanda podcast. <laughs> um, so we'll get through as many questions as we can. First one from the 228th Gunner of 2023. Love it. You're presented with a button. If you press it, there will never be another game sequel or remake ever again. And instead, releases will only be one-time new IP. Do you push the button? Oh, that's a tough one because (laughs) sometimes you can end up with sequels fixing the problems of the first Mm. game and become Mm. the reason to stick with that franchise. Like, I don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Dead Space, but Dead Space 2 is the absolute pinnacle of that. Dead Mm -hmm. Rising 2, same sort of thing. It's like that Mm. that idea. Yeah, exactly. It's the idea of like you are building on solid foundations to provide a greater game overall. Mm -hmm. If I just got Mass Effect 1 and not Mass Effect, the trilogy, right. I probably would have been quite disappointed because while Ooh, I did enjoy, I, love Mass Effect I enjoyed Mass Effect 1, I think it was a very fine game, but the combat sucks in that game, <laughs> to be honest, man. And the whole sort of like Mako... You don't like dri- frisbeeing grenades from uh, behind cover. It's, it's the um, the Mako driving sections as oh, well. Oh, they're the I best just, bit! Nah, man, nah. It's, it's <laughs> it, when, you, when you say it's the best, what do you really mean? Like, 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 it's unpa- fun! Like, is it though? It's, I think it's really. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like logistically, they're all dying inside that oh, yeah, ship, yeah. but it's like, really unless, bouncy. Unless it's got really like fun. some sort of anti-grav thing to keep them yeah. suspended in, like there. in a bubble like, in the middle. It's awful, man. Like, like, oh, just. <laughs> I, just, I love I, the Mako. Mako defense force. The Mako did nothing wrong. I love the Mako. Fair enough, man. I mean, but it's a case of <laughs> I think that sometimes it takes a sequel to deliver on a great idea. If yeah. we didn't have. Uh, if we pushed the button, for example, and we got the single IPs, we wouldn't ever get the remake of uh, or the reimagining of God of War, for example, because that True. would count as True. a sequel to the. Greater you wouldn't even have God franchise. of War two or anything. You'd only get exactly. the original. Exactly. And sometimes <clears throat> there are these games that come out and they are perfect. They hit that note and then they go off into the sunset. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's the wider franchise. We wouldn't have got any Red Dead Red Dead. Um, Redemptions, we would have got Red Dead nope. Revolver and that would have yeah. been it. And don't get me wrong, I love that game. I'd but say. I'm just saying that like it's so different from what we The thing got. is, in the way that this question's phrased, this is to get super hyper granular mm-hmm. about it. The way this question's phrased is you push the button, there'll never be another sequel or remake ever again. And also he says, um, only be one one time new IP. So from now on, would you push the button now? And then it's like going oh, forward. Oh, well, so we get to keep all of the stuff. Bank we everything we've got so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be terrible, actually, considering the state that the gaming <laughs> industry is in nowadays. Because That's kind of my more. thoughts. I'm like, if I did it now, then I guarantee new IPs every time. And things can be iterative. We're only talking about IPs. We're only talking about branding. That could However, still be something that is very similar. However, what we may see is, is that if there's only new IPs and no serials or sequels can be made, you <clears> might get everything feeling completely homogenized because somebody <clears> will say, okay, that worked. And we are so desperate to have a success with our one chance game <laughs> that we're not going to push the envelope at all. We're just going to end up with the exact same type of game again and again and again and again. True. Although I guess I would argue we kind of have that now anyway. That's kind True. of what the yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. stuck in the middle of. I think I would push the button because I'd love to see a world of new IPs 
IPs every time. And then I guess that would put the impetus on gameplay identity as alongside each individual branding yeah. exercise. But only if I can push the button now. If I'm wiping out gaming history, then no, because I'd lose Halo 2 and I'd lose all my other favorite sequels and everything. And I wouldn't even have the rest of Legacy of Kane. I'd only have the original Legacy of Kane Blood Omen. It wouldn't have anything else. Okay, let's think about what uh, remakes, remasters, and sequels that are coming out soon that mm-hmm. may make you want to change your mind. So you wouldn't get Grand Theft Auto 6. Are you happy with that? Uh, I right now can live without GTA 6. I feel like it's been way too long. You wouldn't get I, any, I don't think you wouldn't get any new Halos. Halo Infinite would be the last ever Halo. They've just overhauled that to the I point where I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> I might be all right. I might be fine. Just just going like new IPs, all new gameplay ideas. Let's go. I'm trying to think. I you'll might never, be fine you'll never get a new shovel knight. Oh well, their new ones not shovel knight anyway. They're no, doing no uh, no getting around it. It's hard to that, that diving shovel. one. Shovel Dig, Dig Knight? No, no, no. There's a, their new IP. It's, uh, it's called like Min the Diver or something, or Mini the Diver. It's like a oh, new... Oh, I don't know about that. They're doing a whole new thing. Yacht okay, Club's well, technically they're actually going off on one then and yeah. doing a new IP. Okay. I'm okay. just thinking that like, yeah, I just I think at the minute that we're definitely starved for no new No more IP. Metal Gear Solid games. I know that that was obviously kind of up in the air anyway. <laughs> I guess no, no more, more Death, no Death Stranding. Stranding. <laughs> yeah, well, that might be the reason that you no, ended up pushing the button. button. <laughs> I'm pushing the button, mate. I don't want any more. I don't want any more. I would say more Death Stranding. But um, yeah, I think there are pros and cons to both sides, but I, I would definitely push the button for the lols, only if I can push it in the now. Push the button too. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what comes out of it. Um, question from Brad who says, if you were stuck on a desert island, you could only take with you a group of games whose Metacritic score added up to less than 300. What are you taking? Essentially, quantity or quality. Oh. So I guess you could have less 90 scoring games or whatever, or more 60s, 70s, 50s, 40s. I mean, to be fair, though, you and I are in a great situation here because we're always championing the uh, 6 out of 10 or 7 yeah. out of 10 games. So we're I was gonna say, I'm, way yeah. under the radar and we're getting a few easy, <laughs> like, cheeky ones in there too. So, I, mean, I would totally take all the 50s and 60s games. Like, I'm fine with a whole bunch of 5s and 6 out of 10. I'll take mechanical variation over polished yeah. single thing. Me too, Personally. actually. I think that if I only had, say, uh, three 100-ranked games, I would get so bored of them so yeah. quickly. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, we're assuming that this uh, desert island has got power and consoles <laughs> to play it on and a nice TV. So, in fact, what we've got is a hotel on an island, and I'm not complaining about this. It's just uh, a little island. square. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little TV set in it. Um, <laughs> a little bit of furniture in it. The, the TV's made of, like, the bamboo things. <laughs> and it's the like coconut got, radio. Yeah, it's like a, a very polished turtle shell or something like that that you're seeing the projector <laughs> on. Like, um, So I'd say, uh, yeah, the 6 out of 10 games, like, give me... I'm trying to think of like some notoriously average well, games. The other day, because right now, actually, as we're talking, the Pandemonium, uh, for example, for the PlayStation okay. 1, like that, that's like a 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 game, right? Fishy Bashy Special. I mean, I don't know if I'm yeah. alone on this island, but I'd play that. Yeah. I think um, right now, as we're talking, there's a whole thing doing the rounds that uh, Xbox have announced the Xbox 360. Uh, the ability to purchase Xbox 360 games is going away mid-2024. Oh, so right. there's a okay. there's a list of all the games that are going to be going away forever. They've also said other stuff's going to be on backwards compatibility, whatever. Do you whatever. get to keep them and play them if they've downloaded to your... As far as I know. Yeah, I need to look into it more. I need to the email just before we started recording that would be but rubbish yeah. if they were just there like nah sorry you've bought it and then you only have until this like that super I mario's think... game or whatever it was remember the one yeah, well that's the thing i think it's like the way that switch tried to do what the switch is doing on the 3d uh, nintendo sorry doing on the 3ds and playstation slash sony did it on the vita so i think as long as you own the file you can always get it from the server right. somehow okay. they're just not processing the transactions anymore um, i need to look into it more but either way i'm um, just thinking of old xbox stuff that i love like dead to rights is such a mm-hmm. six slash seven out of ten game that i could just play over and over again and um, that's just what made me think of that but yeah you the 360 what? things you doing just saying that just made me think of the um the red dead revolver slash redemption adjacent mm. gun do you remember that yeah go oh my yeah. god gun, gun versus seven, red dead gun was a seven a six gun was a solid seven out of ten game <laughs> very true yeah at the time it was like psyops versus second sight and gun versus red dead yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. they had clear winners i would say psyops and red dead but uh it's a different thing <laughs> um question from juan castaneda who says do you think it will take another video game crash or a big company slash publisher closing to change the video game industry because it seems like we never learn our lesson p.s i think starfield is going to severely underwhelm if not suck um castaneda also said what was the biggest argument you had with childhood friends about video games and is all of these are great Points. Oh man, that's good. I mean, the biggest childhood argument was um, just the console war back and forth mm. to my friends. Like at middle school, um, it, or the American version of high school, it'd be mm. a case of talking to people about what games they were playing at the weekend. And I had a original Xbox first and then got on the PS2 bandwagon quite late. And so right. all my friends were like, oh, you can't play this. You can't play the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII games. You can't play all this. You can't play that. And I was uh, like, uh, yeah, that does actually kind of suck. But at the same time, I do have Halo. And everyone was like, mm. yeah, but that's all you've got. That's all Halo you, all you've got. And I was like, <laughs> but at the end of the day, do you want to come around and play Halo at mine on the weekend? Yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. <laughs> that was, mine was, I was trying to think of like the biggest ones. By far, the console wars like you said um i feel like that had different generations it was either ps2 versus xbox mm-hmm. or 360 versus ps3 um game specific stuff um for whatever reason my year and i talked about this on a podcast a while ago my year erupted over final fantasy 10 versus metal gear solid 2 it was just at the time it was like you picked a side you were either on board Weird, with rpgs man. um and turn-based stuff or you were on the um, the sort of military western side and you're like oh turn-based combat oh i want to yeah. shoot dudes oh and um and i love both of them i was never going to pick a side um if i had to it's probably metal gear but i love them both um, but that was the big one for us. It was like the whole yeah group trying to pick one side <laughs> or the other. Do you have any favorites? What would you What would you pick? If you um, had to pick Metal Gear Two or Final Fantasy Ten, oh, that's a tough one because I know I had Final Fantasy Ten first, mm-hmm. 
and then I got Metal Gear Solid 2 off my friend Liam later. Mm. Ten story had, gets so bad later as well. It does, but I had a very good time overall oh, with 10, it because but... it was kind of like once you got past into the third act, it was kind of switch your brain off and just have fun with the battle system, <laughs> and that was always quite nice. And the sphere mm. grid was always a very cool. It still does well. have the best battle system. Yeah, like was, I mean, Octopath Traveler has it now, but yeah, it's the best version of the ATB um, yeah. system, whatever it was called. Knocking people um, out of the um, the timeline and yeah, everything. If I'm remembering, right, I really like that. Yeah. Um, I think that overall, I probably had a much more fun gameplay experience with Metal Gear Solid 2 because uh, Liam and I went through and tried to play through on European Extreme, and I, that was so hard. We were stuck <laughs> on the the Fortune Elevator fight for probably oh a my good God, yeah. two solid days. We were just like, I stayed over at his house when we were playing it again and again and again because mm. it's a one-hit kill scenario, mm. and there are falling elements like you know when the lights start falling and stuff like yep. that in the regular gameplay they do nothing but in european extreme if one of the lights hits you <laughs> you die and i'm like oh, she can shoot you oh. through crates as well yeah it sucked man but i yeah it was um i had a very good time with that mm-hmm are well, you coming down on? Um, by the way, I'm just remembering another argument I had with uh, my friendship group about uh, Kingdom Hearts. Oh we my were, god! Yeah, I was over at a friend's house, and I brought Kingdom Hearts over because they weren't too sure about what the mix was, and they just were like, "It's got Disney, and this is so stupid. What are you on about? <laughs> this is a, such an idiotic idea. How mm-hmm. can this be cool?" And I'd played the game loads up until that point, so I showed them the the opening cinematic and they were all in agreement like okay that's actually a pretty cool cinematic with like mm-hmm. uh riku R- whatever the main saw is the main dude the but riku's a head guy um that is in your, oh god I don't he's know. like your antagonist friend right. guy he like goes into the water and everyone's like oh that's actually really really cool and then i was like ah but wait until you see this so i loaded up the battle arena the coliseum mm-hmm. and i loaded up uh, the sephiroth fight because mm-hmm. that's where i got to and i was like Sephiroth is in this game and they were all like oh my god this is amazing that sounds so cool loaded mm-hmm. it up he comes in with his great art style and obviously this is the first time in any game where he's actually looked more than three pixels yeah yeah was like, whoa this is amazing <laughs> and then the battle started and they were like this is garbage Jules this is utter, this is rubbish and I was like what why and he's like why are you floating around the ring like yeah. what are you doing and I was like well I don't know it's like, but it you looks look good like, it's like you look so goofy like, and it's like <laughs> you've got these like stupid powers and they're doing no damage to him and I was like yeah but and they're like this game is rubbish Jules you are stupid for liking this game I was like oh, oh right oh, you're okay. actually not welcome in the house anymore Jules like, it's oh, gone too far okay this has gone this is taking a hard left turn. I remember the Christmas when I got Kingdom Hearts because it was like that was, yeah that's a good point because everyone at the time was like you're either with Final Fantasy or with Kingdom yeah. Hearts it was yeah. like oh my god it was like the Wind Waker split for Zelda it was like oh my god this is for kids and like, you couldn't possibly appreciate the art style you just yeah. had to pick a side. Um, yeah, Kingdom Hearts, when I played it that Christmas, I remember the same, thinking the same thing about the combat, where I was like, I just can't get used to this. I want full turn-based or live action or whatever, um, and I just couldn't get Kingdom Hearts to click at all. Um, where are you at on Starfield? Do you think it's going to underwhelm, if not if not outright suck? I don't want it to. I really want no. them to have a success, because I feel like this is... Um the most hyped I've been for a Bethesda game in a long, long time. However, I've been so badly burnt by the likes mm. of Fallout 76. And, uh, so I was a bit like, uh, what do I think this is going to be? I feel like I can't ever take Todd Howard's promises seriously. So I've got to always <laughs> take them with like a truckload of salt and be like, mm-hmm. look, if he says that there's going to be a thousand explorable planets, there's probably going to be a thousand very small I think they planets. said, yeah, it's like a fraction. Like uh, explorable planets or something like mm-hmm. that. They're probably going to be like small dungeon style things. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully expect there to be issues with the frame rate, graphics, <laughs> gameplay. There will be issues galore because mm-hmm. it's so funny to start this podcast talking about uh, Baldur's Gate and how it is a shiny exemplar of polished gameplay mm-hmm. and then talk about Starfield when you just 
No, in your very bones, it will not be as good as they. What promise. if they pull it off though? What if we boot it up? I, but I'm and glad it to just be wrong. Works. I want to be wrong. Do you mm -hmm. like this? This is the best part of being a cynic, my friend, is that you can always <laughs> stand there and be like, "Prove me wrong." Oh, you did. Well, humble pie on my face, but jokes on you because I got True. a new game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I want to be able to because the thing is, like I mentioned, Halo Infinite before. That game has had this in, not insane complete overhaul, but the physics are a bit different. Sliding's faster, movements faster. Mm -hmm. They've added tons of stuff to unlock and ranking up systems and everything else. It finally feels like what it should have been at launch. Yeah. And it always played well, but it plays way better now. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like you just when you put it on, it's immediate. It's like oh, okay this feels like what you could buy a console for and it feels immediately right. responsive and rewarding and it just it's just satisfying I hope that's the case for Starfield I hope it just goes you don't have some weird facial animation bug or some you know some weird loading issue or whatever it is yeah. um, physics issue because Bethesda always have physics stuff where characters fly around the map and whatever else I just hope it gets there because it's on the same day as, as Baldur's Gate 3 for consoles yes. um, but Baldur's is only on PlayStation so it's kind of going to be a PS5 versus Xbox thing anyway um, but yeah I just I don't think it's going to underwhelm or suck. I just think it's maybe not going to be a ten out of ten polished thing. I still think it's going to be a Bethesda game. So, you, so you're never ever expecting it to be a ten out of ten. So therefore, you are not going to be coming in under your underestimations. <laughs> you'll just be like, look, okay, look, it's. It, I never. Well, I think there's like an this. expectation that it's going to be like a Sony first party, like it's going to be like yeah. a Last of Us style game, but massively open world and everything else. And I just don't think Bethesda can hit that. Nor are they trying to. I think they're just trying to make these big, you know, experimental physics mm -hmm, sandbox mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. with lots of items. So I guess we'll see. Castaneda also said about, um, do, you, do you think that the industry needs a crash for everyone to learn their lesson? This year is like the year for gaming. It's when everything came back, but it is all sequels and stuff. There are yeah. still certain things that are just crashing day one, like, you know, bombing, like <clears throat> the likes of Suicide Squad is never going to be able to recover. I do think there's an issue with, you know, the pitfalls of the industry. Like if you get a foot wrong, there's so much to be gained, but you can also lose everything immediately. There's yeah. no real safety net, but at the same time, it's kind of their fault for doing such a obvious forced safe bet approach anyway like the mcu movies or the dc movies that keep failing as well exactly yeah i think that they're learning their lessons like immediately like mm. when these games come out and they just aren't polished or have been well thought out enough or are actually respecting the uh, audience's time or patience mm. or the, the fact that we just don't want to spend so much in these video games anymore for very little mm. i think that them failing out of the gate is basically that's the warning sign to everyone else so we don't necessarily need a video game crash because i feel like that would rob everyone of like potentially great indie games and stuff that's triple mm. A or double A sort of thing. Mm. And I feel like the ones that are failing hard are being held up as examples of what not to do. Mm. And mm. the industry evolves slowly, but it is evolving a little bit each time that these failures happen. Yeah. I mean, what really needs to happen is, is for the EA sports franchises like FIFA or whatever they're calling it nowadays, EA's football. EA's football club. EA's Sunday league needs to like, <laughs> that needs to have like a massive stumbling as well for them mm -hmm. to learn lessons to improve on the formula. As I said before with the WWE 2K stuff, the only way we got innovation in that game is by mm -hmm. failing spectacularly. They happen on a per game basis. WWE yeah. 2K had one, Assassin's <laughs> Creed had one. Like they tend to not be industry wide. The industry is almost too big to fail at this point. Yeah. I know it's almost the cursed phrase, but it does, it's, it seems to be per franchise at this point. Yeah, and I think that that's the only way that they learn is that they mm. have to have one absolute colossal failure. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a good chance that going the way that things are going, if mm -hmm. God of War obviously has had like an impeccable reimagining and had a fantastic sequel, mm -hmm. it actually is in that third phase now where it will either be a trilogy capper 
to end all trilogy cappers and probably cement itself as being one of the best gaming trilogies ever. Or yes. this will be their trying point more so than the second game where things were obviously set in motion in the first to go into the second where the third game is going to be like, um, where do we go and how do we improve <laughs> this? And this will be their true litmus test effectively. Mm-hmm. I think for the, in terms of like a, if there's any crash relating to Sony, it'll be the live service stuff. I think they're going to pump too many of them out way too fast. Yep. Um, you know, Horizon, Last of Us, Fair Games, Foam Stars, like there's way Foam too many stars. in the pipeline. Yeah, just a lot of them have demoed well. I mean, Foam Stars apparently play as well, but they, their reception has not been very strong. Yeah. Um, I can't see that doing very well. Final question from Morton Nielsen, who says, just bought Elden Ring, which is my first Soulsborne game. Should I dive into it without reading any guides or not? Seems to me like a lot of people use guides for character builds and which order to do quests. I don't think you should use a guide at all. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, <clears throat> Elden Ring's one of those games where, unfortunately, even if you, unless you play with a guide in hand and follow exactly to the letter what that person mm. is telling you, then uh, you're going to miss out some side quests here and there, and you're going to have mm-hmm. some quest lines closed off. But that is the joy of Elden Ring or Soulsborne-like games, because mm-hmm. it's about exploring, about finding what character path you've done. So sometimes you'll be like, stumble across a secret, and that feeling is so much better than mm-hmm. just going, okay, well, the game guide told me to stand here under this tree and uh, ring this bell three times or something like that. And it's like, you have no context as to why that's important, but doing it just gives you a reward or a boss battle. And that isn't as fun, I think, Mm -hmm. because it's the context of learning what about that world makes sense to your character. Mm -hmm. Um, I would never follow a guide first time through either. I feel like that's taking the sort of fun out of it. But it's Mm -hmm. weird because we go back to the Final Fantasy stuff that we were talking about before. I know that on day one, there were people who, uh, when... So there used to be in my hometown of Newton Abbott, yeah, Yeah. um, (laughs) there was a game store uh, game uh, that was right Mm -hmm. uh, in the central uh, thoroughfare. Mm -hmm. And people would be buying their games day one and there'd always be like a guidebook section alongside it. And I remember when Final Fantasy, I want to say 12 came out. Mm -hmm. I remember this guy in the queue in front of me that had the copy of the game and the official guide. And I was like, so what he's going to do is he's going to read the, the guide and just play the game exactly as the developers tell you to play it, mm-hmm. or he's going to just use it to find all the secrets and never have any challenge in that game whatsoever. And I was like, that doesn't seem that fun. Because they used to sell you them. They used to like sell you, it was, oh, do you want the guide as well? And it was like, no. Yeah, like, yeah. why would I? Because I, I mean, maybe some people like it and it's almost like an instruction manual for like a 5,000 piece Lego set where it's like, well, I guess I'll just do it this way or something. Yeah. Um, but I think I always think just go through the game yourself, especially in Elden Ring's case, you can't really go wrong. If you hit a roadblock difficulty wise, pick a different direction. You'll find something cool. You know, you'll level up that way. You'll come back. It'll, it'll all make sense. If anything, it was what was really funny was when I started out, obviously like many people uh not to do any spoilers for people who i've still yet mm. to play this game um you are obviously told that there's uh with your bonfires you've got the spirit of grace is that what it's called where it shows you where to go roughly yeah i think so like like it's like a little like golden arc that just says mm-hmm. over that way there's something important mm-hmm. and i always just was like okay cool i'll go towards that for the first couple of times and see where we're at i came up against a few bosses that were a bit more challenging than i would have liked to admit mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. i was like okay well let's explore the area i carried on going north up through that map for absolutely ages and ages until mm-hmm. i was suddenly like I wonder what was behind the starting area. And so when I went back to the starting area, I found an air, like the whole expanse down there. And I was genuinely amazed at like, yes. there's so much of this game world that I would have just missed if I hadn't had that thought of, 
But what's over there? Like, to, oh, dude, like what's over there is the is the crux of why Elden Ring is one of the greatest yeah. games of all time. Like, you cannot go wrong picking any direction. You'll always find something cool. Every part of that game talks to every other part of it. Um, in terms of, like the enemy leveling and everything else, like it's it's great. You know, when you go into the big flooded marshland area mm. where it's like the uh, the big college of illusions and stuff is there. Mm. There's a massive like cave network to the left, and like it's like a big open mouth cave. And I remember walking through there underneath like uh, the normal green roots pass along the Mm -hmm. top and i was like looking around there i was battling some enemies i was like farming some items and i just happened to move the camera and look up and saw that there was a structure within the cave system up in the back corner and i was like Mm -hmm. wait how how do i get up there so i was like (laughs) following it around following around for ages and eventually found like a tiny doorway that led me all the way up to the top of this thing and i was like wow that was amazing. And then there was yeah. like a secret boss site up there. There was a secret quest line up there. And there was another character you could like recruit to help you out. And I was like, all because I was just there like, oh, there's some, some <laughs> game. The game has informed me that something's up there mm-hmm. because I should have paid attention to the room that I was in more. And I was like, it just and it's like for to, looking. Yeah, to bring it like full circle, that is part of why Baldur's Gate's a big deal. And hopefully why Starfield will be, be a big deal. Yeah. It was Todd Howard who did that, like the, the memeable phrase of like, see that mountain, you can go yeah, there. Yeah, you can go and it's there. like, if they start actually rewarding that stuff again, then that does end up making the best open world games. Mm-hmm. Um, for now though, this has been the Entitled Banter Podcast, the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. UBP. I've been Scott, Scott Taylor. I've been Scott Taylor. That's been Jules Gill. I have indeed. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I just got to say, I won't be here next week because I'll be- Oh no. In. Gamescom, baby. Will. So um, I'll be sending my love um, but uh, to the UBP fans. Yeah, go find, track down Jules Gill, take some photos, tell him he's a nice, lovely man, and we'll have him back on as soon as he's available. For now, though, thank you all very, very much for sending in your questions and listening, and we'll catch you very soon. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.